At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we have been in a series called The Lord of the Church as we've been walking through Revelation chapters 1 through 3. Now, in Revelation 1 through 3, we, we've seen that this is a revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. That's right. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. The entire book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. But the first three chapters reveal him as the Lord of the church. First, in this glorious vision that the Apostle John saw, and then in seven letters that Jesus dictates to real churches that were in Asia, to the church at Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia. We have already looked at the letters that Jesus dictated to the churches in those towns. Today, we're going to look at the seventh letter, the final letter that Jesus dictates to a church, and that is the letter to the church in Laodicea. And so we'll be continuing our study here and concluding it of how Jesus is the Lord of the church. But I want to remind you of something. I mentioned this back at the beginning of January, but in the calendar year of 2022, we're going to be walking through all of the book of Revelation, not just the first three chapters. And so though we are concluding this series here after Easter, we'll be back in the Lord of heaven in Revelation chapters four and five. And then the early parts of the summer, we'll be in the Lord of the earth, looking at Revelation six through 19. And then in the fall, we'll look at the Lord of the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation chapters 19 through 22. So if you're wondering where the rest of the book of Revelation is, it's coming uh, just a little later on in the year. But today we are going to be concluding our study of the Lord of the church by looking at the letter that Jesus writes to the church in Laodicea. Before we look at that letter in depth, we see that in Revelation three fourteen through 22, I want to orient us to the, to the subject matter. Now, it's interesting, uh, as we think about the subject matter of this letter, I want us to think for just a moment about people we know who are in authority. I want you to think not of people in ultimate authority, but maybe people in, in your life that you're aware of. It might be a coach or a teacher or a business owner or maybe a parent. Those who have some authority in these different areas, uh, what would cause them to say, that just makes me sick? What would cause them to say such a thing? That just would make me sick. Well, the coaches that I know, the things that would make them sick are often when a player is not living up to their potential. When, when a player is, has made poor decisions on or off the court or they're lazy in some way so that they don't reach the ceiling that the coach knows is in them. Or possibly it's with a teacher who is teaching English to a group of high school students, but that group of high school students is failing to apply themselves and they're not reading the required readings and they're not writing the required papers with the kind of excellence that the teacher knows is in them. And that teacher might say, it just makes me sick. These students are not applying themselves in this way. Or a parent who has a child who is not living into and utilizing all of the opportunities that have been given to them, the parent might say, it just is making me sick. Now, when you think of those kinds of examples, it orients us to the idea of somebody in authority who experiences a, a reaction in some way to those who are inside of their care. Well, what would make Jesus say 
That just makes me sick. I mean, does Jesus have some authority? Yeah, I'd say he has a little bit. The Lord of, you insert, right? So the Lord of the church, what makes the Lord of the church say, that just makes me sick? Well, it's what he says to the church at Laodicea. Something was going on in that church, and he said, what's happening in that church is hurting me, Jesus says. I care what is happening in my church, and it is hurting me. It is making me sick. Well, what was it that was happening in this church? And we who have ears to hear, how might we take this message as a challenge for our lives as well? We're going to see that today as we look at Revelation 3, beginning in verse 14. Jesus here dictates this letter to the church at Laodicea, and he says, And to the angel of the church at Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me, Jesus says, gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, friends, in these few verses, we're going to see two things today that really help us understand this message for us who have ears to hear. So what is this message to this church? Well, the first thing that we need to see is this. It's a question. Do you have a useless faith? You have a faith that you use less, or do you have a useless faith? It's a question that I think Jesus is asking to the church at Laodicea and to us as well. Now, in order to understand what I mean, I think we need to recognize that this letter to the church at Laodicea is different. If you've been with us over the last seven weeks, you've heard all of these letters, and there's something remarkably different about the letter to the church at Laodicea. Do you know what it is? Did any of you pick up on the difference in this letter? The difference is that there is nothing positive that Jesus says of this church. To to all of the other churches, there was at least some commendation, but to this church at Laodicea, there is none. Jesus immediately begins with challenge. And because the message that Jesus is going to deliver is so challenging, uh, Jesus reminds them of who he is at the beginning of this letter. Again, he didn't just sign these letters from Jesus, but he highlighted a different aspect of his character to each one. So how does he highlight himself to the church at Laodicea? He highlights himself to the church at Laodicea by calling himself the faithful and true witness. What Jesus was saying was, I, I know what I'm getting ready to say is hard, but it's accurate. Jesus said, what I say is right. What I say is accurate. I am a faithful and a true witness. He goes so far as to say, I am the amen. Can I get an amen? Amen, right? What do we mean when we say that? When we say amen, we're saying it's true. 
It's true what you just said. And Jesus said, you can call me the it's true. Because when I speak, I'm always right. Now, he's not being cocky. He is being accurate. Jesus is the amen. He is the true and the faithful witness. So when Jesus speaks this challenging message to the church at Laodicea, he is speaking truth. So what is the the message to the church at Laodicea? What was the problem that they were experiencing? Well, the problem they were experiencing had to do with being lukewarm. He says, I know your works, Laodicean church. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, what does that mean? Now, you might have read this and might have assumed that there, it has one kind of a meaning. You might assume that, that hot is good and cold is bad. And so you might be assuming that hot is on fire for Jesus and cold is an unbeliever. And so we read this and we think that we understand Jesus saying, I would, would rather you be on fire for me or not believe in me at all than be in the condition that you currently are. But friends, that's not really what Jesus said. Jesus here is using something from the experience of the Laodiceans to illustrate a very important point. So we need to understand how the Laodiceans might have understood this, not what we think when we see hot and cold. See, water in Laodicea of the first century came from three locations. There were three different sources of water that they had access to. One source of water came from the city of Hierapolis. Now, Hierapolis was known for its hot spring. Water came out of the ground hot in Hierapolis. And you know what the attitude was toward that water? That water is valuable. It's useful. We can do something with that. We can take a bath in it. We can use it to treat certain conditions medically. We could brew a cup of coffee with it. I don't know if they drank coffee, but you know what I mean? Like hot water, you could do something with that. And the people of Laodicea would have recognized hot water as a useful form of water. How many of you have ever been to Hot Springs National Park in Arkansas? Last Thanksgiving, I went there. And going over to, to Hot Springs National Park, walking around, you start thinking, why is this a national park? Now, I'm not besmirching the good people of Arkansas. It's, it's nice. But why is this hot water coming out of the ground a big deal? The reason why we ask that question is why? So we've got water heaters. We just turn it on. We get all the hot water we want. But unlimited hot water coming out of the ground, that was a novelty not very long ago. And so the hot water was seen as valuable. But you know what else is valuable? Not just hot water, but what, what other kind of water? Cold water is valuable, right? In the city of Colossae, the same city that Paul writes his letter to the Colossians to, that city was known for its cool springs. The water came out of the ground in Colossae not as, as hot, but as cool and refreshing. People would make a nice iced tea down at, at Colossae. I, I, I don't know if they made tea, but you get the idea. It was refreshing. It was useful. So the water at Hierapolis was useful because it was hot, and the water at Colossae was useful because it was cool. Anybody want to guess what the water was like in Laodicea? The water in the city of Laodicea was neither cold nor hot, but it was lukewarm. And as a matter of fact, it came out of the ground with such a high mineral content 
that you know what would happen if you drank the water in Laodicea? That's right, you would vomit. And so Jesus, speaking of water in these terms, would have been a very vivid illustration to these folks. And what Jesus was was saying to them was something like this. Church of Laodicea, your faith is not usable. Your faith is useless. You are using your faith less. You're not engaging with me every day. Now, in, in the worst case scenario of this, Scholars have differed in their understanding. In the worst-case scenario, people have said this must mean that there were no true believers in the city of Laodicea. That's the worst case. But the best case was the faith of the church at Laodicea was just some kind of eternal fire insurance. They trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, but then they put their faith to no good use the rest of the time. Somewhere in that window were the people of Laodicea. And Jesus said... Laodicea in church, a faith that is used less makes me want to vomit. Now, how would they have assessed their situation? Well, the church at Laodicea would have assessed their situation as prosperous. Why? Because the city of Laodicea was a wealthy city. There were banks in Laodicea that made the city wealthy as people went there to do business and to exchange money. There was a medical college in Laodicea where people went to have their eyes treated for blindness with a special balm that was produced in that city. And their their wealth also was demonstrated in their textile industry where they produced these amazing black garments to wear. And so this city that was quite wealthy was looking at Jesus and they saw very little need that they had. Because they thought that they were rich, they trust Jesus hardly at all, if at all. You might think of this for us today. There might be a few parallels you might see with the American church of the 21st century. 20, 21st century. We have access to a lot of stuff, don't we? If we have a problem, we fix it. If, if we have an illness, we go to the doctor. If we have a need, we dip into our bank accounts and we cover the need. Now, that's not the case of everyone, but I'm generalizing here. The more we have, the more access to resources that we have, the less we need our faith because we're ultimately trusting in ourselves. And Jesus looks at the church that is ultimately trusting in itself, and he says, it makes me sick. Jesus gives a a different assessment of that church. He says, not that they're rich, but he says, you're wretched and pitiable. You're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. The faithful and the true witness sees this church differently than the church saw itself. The church saw itself as someone that didn't have very many needs, but Jesus looked at the church and he saw their true needs, and he called them to faith in himself. And so the question that we need to ask each other today, friends, is what is our sense of need? How great is your sense of need? If we have a high sense of need, we will tend to trust Christ more. If we have a low sense of need, we tend to trust self more. And and here's something that I know. My my, my friends, um, Bob Thune and Will Walker, have adapted. I've been adapting this diagram from their book, Gospel-Centered Life. They talk about over time, mature people grow in their understanding of two things. 
They grow in their understanding of the knowledge of God, and they grow in their understanding of the knowledge of self. Now, over time, as we grow in a knowledge of God, we find that God is even greater than we had first imagined. He is holier, he is better, he is more righteous than we even knew at first. But as we grow in our knowledge of self, guess what we find? We're not better than we thought. We're worse than we thought. And so what happens as we grow in our knowledge of God and we grow in our knowledge of self, then our need for the gospel doesn't shrink, it gets bigger. But by God's grace, friends, Jesus is able to cover it. When I knew just a little of God and I knew just a little of myself, I was moved to trust Christ for my salvation. But today, as I sit here, I know more of God, I know more of myself, and I realize the gap was bigger than I knew. But guess what is still sufficient to cover? Jesus Christ is still sufficient. And so, friends, do we have a sense of our need? And do we have a sense that our need is still there? We're still trusting and leaning upon Christ? Are we still using our faith day to day? Well, what would it look like if we had this sense of need? It would, it would show up in our lives in different ways. If we, if we realized that our need was big, we would understand that our minds aren't complete, that our thinking processes are flawed, that our understanding is limited. And when we understand that our thinking is flawed and our understanding is limited, we realize a need to have our minds transformed. That's why God has given us his word, that our minds might be transformed and renewed with his truth. Friends, if we have a high sense of need, our Bibles aren't dusty objects on the shelf, but they're open and they're read. It's an expression of our sense of need. How about forgiveness? The more we understand who we are, the more we understand the holiness of God, the more we see that gap, the more we understand our need to confess our sins. John in his epistle, 1 John, would say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the expressions of our sense of need is a a dependence upon Christ and confessing our sin regularly before him, thanking him for the forgiveness that is available in Christ. If we're self-dependent, we don't confess anything. We don't think we have anything to confess. But if we rightly understand life, we understand our need. How about the problems that we experience? If we have a sense of need, we take those problems and it drops us to our knees and we pray for the Lord to work. But if we have a useless kind of faith, we don't think that we need to trust Christ for anything. We just need to do something about it with our own hands. I'm not here encouraging us to be passive, but what I am saying is the greater our understanding of our need, the more time we'll spend in prayer. How about encouragement? We need encouragement, right? We need encouragement. Well, if we understand that we need encouragement, we're going to go to the place where God has promised to give it through our brothers and sisters in Christ, as he has given his spirit into each of our lives so that as we gather together, we might sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. It's an expression of our need as we show up in community. When we understand that this need was not just for us, but it's everyone has it, then it motivates us to evangelism. If we don't share our faith, then it's possible that we don't understand the true need for the gospel in the lives of everyone we meet. Friends, Jesus looks at a church that is using their faith, faith less. And he says, it makes me sick because that's not what my desire is. Jesus says, my desire is that the cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger, that your faith and dependence on me grows and grows and grows. 
If you were to take an assessment of your life today, where, where would you be? Is it a useless kind of faith or is it a useful kind of faith? Well, the second thing we see is this. A useful faith always depends on Jesus. A useful faith always depends upon Jesus. Now, where do we see that in the passage? Well, we remember that Jesus said that this, this kind of useless faith makes him sick. But that, when he says it makes him sick, he's not saying that in a, in, a, in, a, in a detached way. He's saying that really as a deep expression of his emotion. Jesus longs to have a relationship with us. He desires to, to, to relate to us and for us to depend on him and for him to be able to bless us. That's his desire. That's why he... he dictated this letter to the church at Laodicea. It was an expression of his love. He said, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Jesus said, those whom I love, I send them letters to direct them to this truth. Those whom I love, I preserve Revelation 3, 14 through 22, so that they can read it at Wildwood Community Church in 2022 on February the 27th. Friends, This is the message that Jesus has for us, that he loves us. He does not want us to stay in a useless faith situation. He wants us to become useful in our faith as we depend upon him moment by moment and day by day. Well, how does that happen? What happens by repenting? But what does repentance mean? We've seen this in all the letters to the churches. Repentance comes when we do an about face. When we, we stop moving in one direction and we move back towards Christ. In context, what he's saying is stop being lukewarm, but instead be useful in your faith. Be dependent upon me in all areas of your life. That will be a demonstration of, of the heat that you have, of the zealousness that you have for me, Jesus says. So what does it look like? Well, it's interesting, after making this challenge, Jesus makes this statement, and I love this. The statement that Jesus makes uh, is connected to how he defined himself in verse 14. In verse 14, he talks about himself as the beginning of God's creation. The beginning of God's creation. Now, when we see that, it sounds like Jesus was the first one who was created, but that's not what that phrasing actually means. This phrasing should actually be translated. A better translation of this would be to say that he is the uh, beginner of God's creation. He is the origin of God's creation. He is the one through whom everything was created. And so if we find ourselves in a situation where our faith is useless and we want it to be useful, we can go to the creator who can grow that kind of faith inside of the garden of our lives. Amen? So how does Jesus do that? Well, he does that by giving us a variety of things. The first thing he gives us is he gives us what we need. He gives us what we need. Now, he, he defines this and describes this in a number of different ways in these verses. The first thing that he talks about giving us is gold refined by fire. See, they had gold in their banks in Laodicea. They had plenty of stuff. But Jesus said, though you have plenty of stuff, You need something better. You need the true spiritual riches, Jesus said, that only I can give. And this idea of gold refined by fire, that phrasing is used by Peter in 1 Peter 1, verse 7, to talk about a refining process in our faith that comes in the midst of persecution. I think what Jesus was saying 
to this church was something like this. If you have a useful kind of faith, your bank account may go down, but your spiritual riches will go up. And the spiritual riches will go up in a way that is far better than anything that you might lose. We think about our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Ukraine right now. Their apartment buildings and their church buildings may be blown to pieces and may fall to the ground. But as they are walking those halls and preaching the gospel and gathering with people in parking lots and praying to the God of the universe, their spiritual riches are beautiful, bountiful, and they cannot be touched. And they're an example to each and every one of us. Where are the true riches found? Jesus said they're found in him. The riches of forgiveness, the riches of hope, the the riches of the provision of his spirit, they're found in him. Jesus said, come to me, be dependent upon me, and I will give you what you really need. Not only that, but he talks about him giving them white garments. Now, what, what is this statement about the white garments? Well, the city of Laodicea was known for its black garments, That was the the color of the clothes that were made in that city, and the textile industry there was really significant. And so people in Laodicea wouldn't be caught dead in anything other than the the most beautiful black fashion. But here Jesus said they're going to have white garments. Now, does that mean that Jesus doesn't like other colors? No, this is a symbolic statement. What he's saying is, he says, come to me, and I will not just cover your bodies but I will cover you with my righteousness. And not only that, if we follow him in obedience, then our lives will have the aroma of righteousness as well. This idea of white garments is talked about in Revelation chapter 19, verse eight. We'll see this later on this year as a representation of the righteous deeds of the church. So Jesus is saying, not just I'm going to give you uh, this, this spiritual resources, but also he says, I'm going to give you the path and the pattern and the provision of my righteousness so that you too might live a life that is pleasing to God. Not only that, but he says that I'm also going to give you some salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now, again, there was a medical college there that produced a balm that provided some relief to a number of different eye ailments. But Jesus here is not talking about physical sight. He's talking about spiritual vision. There are things and truths that we just miss if God doesn't intervene and illuminate them for us. That's why Paul prayed for the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 1, 18, that the eyes of their heart might be opened so that they might see and understand the depth of God's love for them. See, friends, we need to have our eyes opened by this kind of anointing that Christ can do through the work of the Spirit so that we might see and understand him even more. It's wonderful that God has given us his word. It's even better that he gave us the Spirit to help us make sense of it, help us see it and to understand it, to be guided into all truth. Jesus gives us what we need. But not only does he give us what we need, but friends, Jesus gives us who we need. He gives us who we need. I love this. This is one of the most famous verses in all of Revelation. But in chapter 3, verse 20, it says this. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus said, Hey, Laodicean church, I'm standing outside the church. 
and I'm knocking on the door. Now, let's just think for a moment. I'm going to talk in terms that we understand, but you'll understand the, the, the symbolism of this. Imagine, here's the church, the, the first whatever church of Jesus in Laodicea, and that's what's on the, the door outside. Jesus' name is on the door. There's probably a cross on the door. But where's Jesus? The church is meeting inside. They're, they've got a, they got a building with his name on it, but they don't have him in their hearts. They don't have him in their lives. They don't have him in their church. And Jesus is standing outside that door, knocking. Hey, Laodicean church. Hey, Wildwood Community Church. I'm here. Open the door. And I'll come in. And we'll have fellowship together. Now, remember last week, we talked about how there is the doors that Jesus opens, no one can close. The doors he closes, no one can open. Remember that? But look at his posture here. The one who absolutely could kick down the door knocks instead. This is an indication that he wants our response of faith. He wants us to open the door. So if we don't know Christ as our Savior, we're a Christian in name only. Know that Jesus is standing at the door of your life right now knocking, saying, I want more than just this useless version of faith that you've had in the past. I want a useful version of faith in the present. Open the door in faith, and I will come in, and we will have fellowship forever. And if you're here today, and your faith has grown cold, and it's more useless than useful at this point, know that Jesus is standing at the door and knocking and saying, Open in faith to me, and I will come in. He doesn't just give us what we need. He gives us who we need. And even more than that, he tells us where we will be. Where are we going to be? Verse 21 tells us amazing truth. The one who conquers to the believer, Jesus said, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. What a statement. The throne of the Father is in heaven. The throne of Jesus is on the earth. Jesus here is talking about eternity. He's talking about the kingdom. And he says, I'm going to establish a kingdom. I'm going to reign. And if you trust me, we're going to reign together. What encouragement, friends. Jesus' desire for us is not that we just get some kind of fire insurance for eternity, but his desire for us is that we would trust him and walk with him and know him and depend on him daily because in eternity we'll be reigning with him in glory. Jesus desires a useful version of our faith. How would you define your faith today? Useless or useful? Jesus is knocking and inviting you to a full life of faith in him. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture. Thank you for this great set of truths that encourage and remind us that you love us and you desire us to walk with you in dependence daily. Lord, may may we be a people who respond in faith and open the door and trust in you, and experience that fellowship with you. Lord, we have great needs, but you are the great provider. We trust you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, friends, as we conclude our service today, we're going to be doing so around the communion table. And so for those who are going to be assisting in serving communion today, if you would go ahead and come on up into your